Hey everyone, welcome to podcast number 108. Slowly climbing that ladder. Hopefully you guys have been staying out of the heat. It's been a hot one here in Alberta. It's been a hot one here for two months. <laughs> that's fair. The, sm- the smoke is the only thing that's keeping the heat down, or else I'm pretty sure it would be a lot worse. Absolutely. It's absolute, It's it's just crazy. It's so weird driving around Edmonton and just like seeing nothing but dead grass everywhere. I don't think I've ever seen it, but it, there's no moisture anywhere. It's insane. How's we're it in, in your that, area, Dara? Yeah, we're in we're in BC because I'm I'm on vacation here. We're we're <laughs> we're coming at you from a different venue tonight. I know things might look a little different out there, but uh, yeah, no, we're in Kimberley, BC. You know smoky it's uh it's not the super smelly but the, it, you can't really see the mountains and kind of the vast views out here but uh sort of yesterday and a couple of days before just sort of got a little bit of rain so it starts to clear things up a little bit and today it's opening up a lot so actually even right now honestly it's like blue sky beautiful super nice and i haven't seen it like that for for the week that we've been here so yeah with that said it's it's beautiful blue sky i'm i'm heading home tomorrow so i I probably won't make it on the show for the whole show there guys sorry to disappoint you here tonight (laughs) 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 like my new hat though hey dexter i'm on the dexter tour i I love it it's so good it's Uh, it's the best one you notice anything different sticker oh you took it off wow i'm so proud of you i know growing up Growing up, I like it. (laughs) All I know is that it's the best hat that we're going to see on this show today, without question. Yeah, yeah. Like my my curvature. Yeah. Anyway, so we've I've done we golfed out here. I don't know if uh, uh, anybody knows the old golf. I don't think I want to check into a couple bowling alleys out here. I was messaging you guys, and that'd be kind of cool thing to chat about is uh, what bowling centers, um, Valley Lanes. I think I said in Invermere. Uh, Valley Valley. Valley Alley and Juniper Lanes in Cranbrook. I was thinking about stopping by and saying hi, but today I was going to stop by the Juniper ones in uh, in Cranbrook. They're about half an hour away or so from from Kimberley, and uh, they were closed, so I didn't get a chance to stop in. So today was a rainy day, so we drove into Kimberley and watched the the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, took the kids to a movie date, you know. It's it's That's nice to be able to go and do those things again, eh? Yeah, it was a good movie, man. Movies. Yeah, it was super yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it was good. So. I have to say that I'm a little bit disappointed in Carrier right now. You know, we we really didn't have a podcast last week. We had a podcast, didn't have a podcast the following week, and he had no nicknames made up for us already. He had three weeks to come up with nicknames, and he, he didn't he didn't have anything ready for us. So Tim, yeah, you didn't have guests lined up for two weeks, so I really don't have a problem with the nicknames. Oh wow, yeah. uh, you know what? You, you should have been prepared. He, he wins. Hey, it came together. Came together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so big news for uh, Olympic fans: Andre DeGrasse this morning takes down the gold medal in the 200 meter men's final. Yeah, pretty exciting. He's that was been, cha- cool to wake he's up been to this morning. Yeah, yeah, he's been chasing a, a gold medal for a while. So congrats to him. That was awesome. Did you guys happen to get up and watch it? I watched the re- replay. Week. I didn't watch it live, no, but I watched, like, that was the first thing on the Twitter feed this morning was the Andre de Grasse kind of thing. But, yeah, that, that and Brooke Henderson, see how she's doing in the golf. Yeah. yeah. She had a rough first good. round. But... Yeah, rough round. <laughs> quick, quick change, eh? Like, no. <laughs> but awesome for Andre de Grasse. Like, he got the it bronze is. and now the gold. Super, super cool. I was interested. He ran the outside um, in most of his heats, hey? 
He was in lane eight for most of them. It was kind of interesting. That usually the guys, fastest guys, are in four or five, right? Yeah, I don't know. In the two hundred meter, I think you want the outside lane because you have less of a curve to run the first the first portion. So the outside lane, the better. Oh, but, okay. I, yeah. I don't I don't know that at all. You usually in the hundred meter, you want the inside lane because it's closer to um, I believe the marksman that um, tells you to go or whatever the the gunfire or the click or whatever but for the 200 meter i don't think the the quickness right off the bat is such a huge deal so you want a less sharp turn at the curve is well, from what i understand that's huh. that's awesome hmm, interesting it's quite the story about how he got into into running though have you guys ever hear about that yeah how he just he just randomly showed up to a track meet thought there was girls there and he didn't even do a starting position in, in high school. He just stood up and uh, and he was wearing ball cleats and and he just just was dicking around and he made the Ontario finals and and somebody saw him. He's like, yeah, this guy might be good. And he decided to play it. But he was a basketball player, so he seems pretty pretty level headed, right? So, well, that's um, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. cool, Kathy. Yeah, that's really cool. Hmm. Yeah, nice. he seems like a super down to earth, really nice dude. Um, yeah, congratulations to him. You know, yeah, Mark- I was hoping for him in the, like the, in the hundred meter too, but the guy is absolutely built. He's built to do the two hundred meter for sure. Yeah. and um, he did the. He still got the personal best, I think, or something like that in the in the one hundred, which is which is awesome, and, right? Yeah, and he did a national best too. So can, yeah, can yeah. We, what's this about? He runs can, faster than McDavid skates. They said okay, that, that's can we interesting. Just comparison. This really quick, because yeah, like, but I, I, I like this comparison. I was blown away by it. it. It's a it's a garbage comparison. Okay, it's 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 two completely different things. I mean, like I respect him completely, but a hundred meters versus two hundred feet is a completely different thing. You know, you put you put McDavid into a, into a hundred or a two hundred meter straight away. He's gonna gain way more speed than he normally does. He just he just can't get up to speed in two hundred meter or in sorry two hundred feet, right? Yeah, That's I feel like we need to see a race of this straight on. Like uh, like remember what was it? Who Ben Johnson ran against the horse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so does, they need to do this side by side comparison of McDavid versus the grass totally. or or the, the guy like like both super fast. But anybody yeah. who thinks that McDavid can't get up to that speed in two hundred yeah. meters is like lose that. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that's a fair comparison. They would have to compare it to like a speed skater, right? Like yeah. if a speed skater can get up to those speeds or that situation, like McDavid isn't like he's not trying to break speed records. He's trying to get down the ice, right? Yeah, it's a he's, bit he's only going sixty-seven meters. Could could yeah. they do something like they could have an exhibition? Like could they like had Skydome versus Donovan Bailey versus uh, Michael Johnson that one time? They could have a. a and yeah, I remember that one too, side, and then they have a running yeah. one beside it. Yeah. yeah, apparently there's there's a place in Calgary that has that, where it's like a straightaway ice rink, and there's like a straightaway, you know, uh, foot race awesome. right side by side. So, yeah, maybe we be, can bet on something like that. Open up awesome. the bets. Maybe we need to <laughs> see somebody, you know, crop a couple of videos that are showing a fastest skater around the ice because the fastest skater does the around at. Oh, well, yeah. They're, they're, you know, all-star game, right? That's the thing that they do. So how far is it they do that? And how long does it take them to go that distance, right? Versus how long does it take for a 100-meter person to run that distance? Let's see that side-by-side video comparison. 
there, 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 there's a request out there. Tyson, Tyson already <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. He's like, I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, that 400 meter hurdle guys that he talked about too. How about the, the biggest story too is the, the women's soccer uh, beating the USA and now going for gold medal. How unreal was that? Yes. Uh, it's so good. You know what? The funny thing about it is like watching and seeing all the comments from the Americans and how happy the American, like the entire United States is for Canada beating them. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. Oh seeing yeah. It. There's like just, just the saltiness that kind of, kind of came with that sort of that loss and, whatever and the americans are not about it they're actually happy for canada so yeah kudos to them super cool um, yeah, they're kind of like good i'm glad they didn't who, win again i didn't want to hear it for, i didn't want to hear it for another two years it's, yeah. it's, it's not abby wambach who's who's the other girl on that team megan rapino yeah and everybody hates that that you see that one video she went and gave like the hug to jesse fleming and that kind of that awkward tap, tap of the neck as she was walking by her, tapped her on the neck, and then kind of felt like, oh, maybe I did that too hard. And then, turned, then forced herself to turn around and give her a hug while she was on camera. Like, it was a weird sort of exchange. Like, oh, okay. Like, that was weird. So, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then all the comments after, I don't know. I'm super – comments from, from Megan. I don't know. It's, it's just – yeah. Yeah, it is I don't what know. It is. I've never lost to Canada. Like, well, you just did. You obviously yeah. never want to lose to Canada. I don't think I ever have lost to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> well, yep, there you go. Yeah, but well, just, just it is what it is. The competitive people yeah. show just a touch of class. I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it's not like Canada has been like bottom twenty team for like the last forty years. They've been constantly in the top 10 if not the top five team for quite a while so to lose to them isn't such a big shock but to make a comment like that just it it clearly shows the true color right absolutely and then uh, on the on the flip side of that you get to watch the men's high jump i don't know if everyone anyone saw the clips of that yeah yeah that was cool yeah super cool the one guy i can't even remember where they were from but uh one guy who was yeah, Qatar, right? And the other one yeah. was, was it Greece? No, Italy yeah. maybe? Yeah, no, it wasn't Italy. Yeah. Yeah. It Anyways. wasn't Italy. But yeah, so the the guy from Qatar was supposed is, is like the best there is, but they're the best of buddies, and it came down to a jump off, and they, you know, they said it was too close, they had to continue to jump off, and yeah. the guy, the, the cool. best in the world looks at him and goes, well, can we get two golds? And absolutely, or it was Italy, okay. Yeah. Can we get two golds? And like... Let's he was do so it. happy. Let's, hey, they were both oh, so man. happy. They were so happy. Absolutely, it was yeah. so cool to see. Just yeah. great sportsmanship. I love seeing that. It was awesome. Super. Good. Um, the uh, decathlete guy. Hey, oh, yeah. both are decathletes. They're crushing. Both it. are decathlete guys. Yeah, yeah. Damien Warner. Mm-hmm. Crushing yeah. it. Yeah. Um. So I guess I'm a little bit oblivious to this. When does the women's decathlete start? It, are they like next? They have. Week? They have already. Oh, they this have as well. Ellen uh, Greenwood, Ellenwood, blonde girl from Canada. She's a rocket. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ellenwood. I want to say somebody will help me out out there, but there is a female decathlete that's going on. Hmm. Yeah. The girls. Oh, the girls here. Have, we've been. We've been. We've been tied to the Olympics. We're on holidays, obviously, here in, in Kimberley, and we basically the only thing I've had to want to watch on TV with 
teenage girls and people if they just put on the Olympics, please. So that's the in and outs of yeah. coming here and going there. We got a pool right across the street. We got oh man, it's been my parents awesome. have been the same. They've been absolutely yeah. glued to it, which is like I I wasn't expecting it, but you know, it was mom's uh, mom's birthday here this or in July there, and we got her a TV so she could bring it out and watch the Blue Jays out on their new deck and stuff. And um, yeah. they, they've been flipping it on to the the Olympics and so watching the Olympics till after midnight, which is something my parents just don't do. So uh, it's it's super cool to see. I'll be honest, I haven't watched hardly any of it because just the timing of things and whatnot. And uh, I'm kind of sad I'm missing it. I'm more of a Winter Olympics person, anyways, but. Um, kind of sad to watch some of the kayaking and stuff today, and it's, yeah. it's fun to watch for sure. Yeah, we we played a huge ball tournament on the weekend, so we were hoteling it in between. Every time we were at the hotel, the Olympics were on the whole time. I saw that, Kerry. What was that all about? You were like intermediate champs. Yeah, um, it was just a tournament in Leduc there. Uh, one of the big ones, like the Miller Light tournament or whatever. Our team hasn't mm-hmm. played together in probably, I'd say, three years. So we yeah. decided instead of going competitive, we go play intermediate. We put our team together, and we're lucky enough to walk away champs. So that was fun. Yeah, awesome. What uh, what position do you play when you do that? Uh, middle infield. So usually shortstop, sometimes second base. Depends if I can pick up a ball that day or not. But that's a high pressure, <laughs> hey? High pressure center <laughs> infielder guy. Like you're yeah. you're seeing a lot of actions come at you. Uh, you got you to be on the ball. Pitch, not so much. In you got to be on the ball. To, 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 <laughs> you got to be agile out there, won't you? <laughs> well, only if the guys hit it hard on the ground. Otherwise, it's always over your head. Everybody right. hits into the outfield. Slow right. pitch. It's a pretty easy game. Oh, <laughs> so you got to be you got to be waiting for the throw on the inside then, or the, yeah. re- the relay get the relay Hope, guy. Hopefully, hopefully a double play once once every yeah. couple of games is fun fun to do. Yeah. What do you play for? What's your uh, where do where do you hit in the lineup? Wait, Lead it's off. interview carry time. No, <laughs> Lead off. Lead off. Oh yeah, get yeah. on base carry. Get one yeah. on there, carry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all I do. <laughs> yeah, out of way. All right. Well, we might as well pay some bills and get this podcast rocking and rolling, eh? <laughs> you, sound, you sound like Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, watched, what do you mean? We haven't, we, we haven't been going yet. We're, we're just we're just gonna start now. Then is that what's yeah. happening? Everybody just listens to our our stupid conversation. And some people <laughs> chime in because they want to hear the same stuff. But most people are here for our guests, so we should uh, bring them on in. First of all, I just want to thank everybody that uh, has subscribed to our patron. Uh, we can't thank you guys enough. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. Um, as for as little as two dollars a month, you can be a, par- a patron too and help support us directly. And uh, we send out discount codes for our merch and all that good stuff. And hopefully, with this winter or sorry, this fall rolling up, we'll be able to put out some videos for our patrons only and all that good stuff. Also, want to thank Alley Cat Brewing. I need to go for, get some uh, more. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for uh, donating our drink of the week. Today's a full moon, so it should be good. Tim, good job, what are Carrie. you drinking? Good job, Carrie. Oh yeah. Hmm. <laughs> All right, and All Star Bowling. He's, con- yeah, he's not allowed <laughs> to say. It. He's contractually obligated not to say. It. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, all Star Bowling Sales, once again, being our weekly podcast uh, sponsor. We're going to run our commercial and then we'll bring in our special guest. 
All right. So, without further ado, um, was originally from Winnipeg, went to Northern Ontario, and is back in Winnipeg, I do believe. Right? Is that how it went? Well, I guess we can ask him directly. <laughs> Sorry, Dex. <laughs> Dexter Nelson. <laughs> hey, guys. How's it going? Not bad. How are you doing, man? Ah, can't complain. We're finally starting to open up things this weekend. Yeah, we hear right. the mask mandate is gone and all that good stuff, is it? Yeah, it sounds like everything's pretty much opening up 100%. There's just a few things left where you still have to be double vaxxed to do them, but the, max ma the mask mandate is pretty much going away. It's awesome. It's freedom, I tell you. It's a lot different. <laughs> Tyson, you changed your hat from the pregame show to the, to the Patriots, did you? Yeah, you went this, from one, this one was just for Dex. You went from you, champion, champion? What's what's going you, on here? You make me you're, want you're to all vomit. about the so, dynasties, are you? Exactly. You just cheer for, like, the, the evil empires, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Except for in hockey. In hockey, I'm a Hurricanes fan. Okay. Oh. I can get behind that. The rest of this is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the Hurricanes before? Weren't they... Hartford? The Whalers, the Whalers. They were Hartford, Hartford Whalers, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, that was before my time. <laughs> hey, be, be nice to Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for our, our listeners out there, he was wearing a Yankees hat earlier, and I really don't know what which is worse. I really don't. I cannot believe the Yankees got uh, Rizzo. That was such a good pickup, honestly. He's done so well too for. I think he was. I think they said for he was the first Yankee to get on base eight plus times in his first two games. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. He's one of my absolute favorite players. I can't believe he went there. Just, just it just kills me on the inside. <laughs> like, what what's going but, on in the baseball these days? Like where what, where are they at in the season wise? I don't really follow baseball too much. They're two thirds 60, through. Yeah, 60 yeah, it's games like one twenty. I think yeah. one hundred and ten maybe. So still two months of regular season left, and the Blue Jays are in the mix in the wild card. They're a few few games away. Yeah, the Yankees are above them, yeah. and so is Boston. who else? Boston, Boston. And, the, and the A's. Yeah. 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 I think for, the Blue Jays are what card. three games back? Four three, games. Three and a half. Three, three, three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. But they're up right eight nothing right now against Cleveland. So. Yeah. That's a I good think start. I think the Blue Jays added a few key pieces and. Now they're uh, playing at home again, and I think you're really going to hopefully see a lot of their momentum start to pick up and absolutely. all that good stuff. They, they picked up, you know, shored up their starting pitching and their bullpen, and we don't have to shore up our bats, that's for no. sure. So, uh, yeah, they look like a whole different team. Uh, gave up a lot for Barrios, but you know what? At least we got control of him for another year, and it's it's the Blue Jays have got to be the most fun team to play on, so hopefully he sticks around after yeah, hopefully we don't have to watch Dolis pitch anymore, and then oh, he's we'll be all good. Yeah, fair <laughs> and Spring Springer's been playing okay and actually contributing here lately. Yeah, he's hit another home run today. today. Yeah, four for four. Nice. He's he's uh, a a triple away from from the cycle nice. today already. Damn. Nice. Yeah, mom and dad are actually going leaving tomorrow to watch him in Toronto. So oh, nice, they're, sweet. They're seeing they're seeing a game Friday, doubleheader Saturday and Sunday as well. So oh, so good the, for that. They That'll got a couple a of the fifteen thousand tickets. Yeah, they did for good each for, for every game, That's and they awesome. were going to be there Sunday. They weren't going to go to the game on Sunday. I'm like, mom, what are you going to do? Yeah, like, what do you mean? I'm like, if you're there, you're going to be. I know who you are. You're going to be sitting there. <laughs> 
either in the hotel room or you're going to be in a pub watching the Blue Jays game. Why are you not getting tickets for that one too? So Go they did, watch they it. got tickets, and they were like, they, they, she was looking at hotels and stuff, and I was like, stay at the one that's like overlooks the field. Why yeah. not? And she didn't want to rent a car and drive around everywhere, so they ended up staying there. It's, it's awesome. I'm so excited for them. It's going to be so good. Have they ever been to what a about- game before? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, my mom wasn't a big baseball fan until she went to a baseball game, and now she, it is like it is religion to her. Like it, she will not miss a game. It's insane. So yeah, just had to go to the first one, and now she's in love. Yep. What is this, Boston? Oh my god. Well, well, Kathy, we had a good run with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, what uh, what what local sports do you like there, Tyson? Are you like? Hockey, uh, what's I'm, your NHL team? Are you a Jets fan or are you a sort of... Probably uh, Hurricanes. I'm, I'm a Hurricanes fan. <laughs> right, we were talking about that. Jesus, but, not, but not a local Canadian team, I guess. They're like, um, I don't know. No local Canadian team. I'm actually an Oilers fan. Guys, <laughs> no, I'm on holidays here, man. All right, all right. Yeah, I like yeah I'm on holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jet, I figured Jet I got to go another six minutes here, Canada. guys. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Kathy redeemed herself. We're okay. Thanks, Kathy. We're okay. Yeah. Speaking of uh, local sports, CFL starts this weekend, too. Uh, Not that I really care too much, but we had a... (laughs) What? Aren't aren't they an XFL league now, I thought? No, 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 no. It is still still CFL. Um, But, uh, so we had a lightning storm here last night, and uh, no rain, but lightning, and there's a video of it. Lightning struck the Jumbotron at Commonwealth Stadium. And it just went kaboom. Wow. So, so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Wow. Hey, hey, local, let's, I want to talk about this for a few minutes of bowling, bowling stuff related. Um, in my travels is the bowling alleys that are in Cranbrook, BC, and Invermere. And I was looking to know if anybody knew who they got, who uh, any of our listeners or people watching who who owns or runs or bowls out of uh, Valley Lanes, I think, in Invermere, and also uh, Cranbrook. It's called Juniper Lanes. I looked them up, but I hadn't. Uh, they weren't open at the times that I was driving by. So, and it, it's kind of neat to know all these little unique individual bowling centers throughout our provinces, right? I mean, mm-hmm. sure. You know, all of us have been on travels and sort of like, oh, who's this unique little bowling center you guys want to check out? So, totally. You guys don't know anybody, Mark, Tim? You were saying something about one of them, Mark, Mark, Mark Graff's Mark, parents. Mark, you might Mark know. Graff's parents play out of Cranbrook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they 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 started they moved there like a couple of years ago. So they started playing out of there. So. So yeah, that's the only person I know who plays out of there. But right. they're out of the they're out of the Okanagan now, right? So. Yeah. Um, and in the mirror, the only person I knew who played out there for YBC was uh, Katie. Katie Rayner's dad played a couple years out there for for yeah. YBC, and but he's no longer there anymore, obviously. But right. um, but that bowling alley's been there forever. So, if uh, anybody listens to this future podcast, if uh, any of you know or somebody, let me know who 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 it is that owns or runs these places. It'd be kind of cool to connect a little bit because I. Might come through this place a couple times a year. It'd be kind of cool to stop by and say hi to a, a unique bowling center. I don't know. They'd be kind of cool. Apparently, one of them's Wood Lane still. So, I'd like to learn a little bit more about a couple of the centers up here. It's kind of it's a, such a beautiful area, right? I don't know if Radium has a has one, right? I know Jasper has a little bowling center, right? So, uh, there's Kelsey. Thanks, Kelsey. That's good to know. Juniper was bought by an investor, so 
there's anybody that we know bowl out of there? I don't know. What's which night is league night? Can I get in on league night at Juniper <laughs> Lanes or what? Who's <laughs> gonna be on the road this year, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh. Uh, so yeah, some sad news out of Northern Ontario this this week. Uh, Fort Francis is shutting down. Uh, it's really unfortunate. One of Arnie's places. Um, sounds like Arnie's other two places are still going to be up and running, but uh, that's, that's a big loss to the community up there. I don't know. I don't know where the next closest bowling alley is for that. That's Do too you bad. know what else? Uh, probably be Kenora, I think. I think Kenora just said. I think they just reopened their bowling alley. I yeah. saw the other day. I saw them advertising it or something like that, right? How far away is that? Oh, it's a few hours. I. The, wow. The true Northern Ontario guys would have to correct me on that one. Or, yeah, Dryden. Dryden would be the other option. And how far away is Dryden, do you, do you think? Well, between Kenora and Dryden, it's about an hour and a half, so it's about three hours. There you go. That's crazy. That'd be like us driving to Red Deer to go bowl league. That's there needs to be some sort of a uh, Canadian five-pin bowler's passport, right? All these bowling centers that you've played out, you get a stamp at, a, at each place that you go to. Okay? Stamped and signed off by one of the sta- one of the workers that signed you in. Hey, can you sign my passport, please? Maybe it's a digital passport. I don't know. It's something. Digital right? passport would probably yeah. be a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> they're carrying around a passport. Like, hey, man, here's my passport. Fuck. I know, but come on, man. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. You need to, need to promote people going to and playing different houses, right? Instead of just always playing the same ones and we stuff need, like that. I think that's a need a idea. hashtag. Hashtag for like a different bowling center, something like that. There needs to be a tagline for you. <laughs> well, wasn't there uh, one player who went and did like a hundred, like a hundred lanes or something in hundred days? Terry Burns, yeah. Yeah. Terry Burns, yeah. yeah, that was awesome. One side to the other, documented. So cool. Did you that, write a book that, about it? Do you know? Did you write a book? Or where's the where is the stories? I remember. I think I remember recalling Facebook posts. Or, you know. But wasn't did he write a book or how did he collect that info? I want to just like how did that come? Because I, the reason why I ask guys is up here in Kimberley, actually a really unique thing is that they did they have a Kimberley underground mine uh, r- railway system, and one day we went and did this tour. It was a two hour tour and hopped in this little train and drove our way into this little mine shaft, and they showed us and demonstrated all the how the workers would have got in there and brought out the iron ore and the fascinating story for the time, right? So. Where was I going with this again? What was I talking about? <laughs> You've been in BC too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going somewhere with this. What was I talking about? Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> um, was the Terry Burns thing, Tim, wasn't that um, kind of sponsored by C5? Didn't they help him with that? I don't honestly. I, I that was before my time. I'm search. I'm, t- I'm searching it up right now. There, there's. <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear it, TV. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. The guy, the guy that was giving the tour, he was the mine miner inside the tour shaft. After we got off the train and we go inside, and he's in his outfit. And he told us that like his he worked at the mine for 38 years. He's still living, right? He started there in 1962, 
and does these tours now and educates people about it. Super cool. But he has his book and he, he ended up publishing this book. And of course, I went into the gift shop after and I bought old Bill Roberts's book, right? And it was just all about compiling stories of ex-miners and all the, the past history of that, right? So I thought just, you know, obviously translating the bowling is the hundred, you know, the hundred bowling centers, right? So. Yeah, there's there's a ton of art, ton of articles written by it, uh, written about it. Sorry, so uh, we can share some of those to you. And to there you go, Daryl. Well. Dave Wendell plays out of Cranbrook. Oh yeah, oh yeah, nice work. BCA is a single. A nice work. Thank you, Kelsey. See, you just got to ask the questions, guys. That's right. Yeah. Anyways. It, Good stories, but that should probably be a good time for me just to take off, guys. I know t- Tyson's story. I'm, I'm gonna go here. Good conversation. Yeah. Um, all right, thanks, dude. Yeah, it's been, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. It. Have a good chat, bowling ways. Thanks, all guys. Right. Take care. <laughs> Have fun, everybody. See you there. See you there all. all right, we're I'm off to a great it. start, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing good. We're doing good. <laughs> All right, well, maybe let's talk a little bit of bowling now with Tyson, right? So, um, Tyson, we, we, we talked a little about you started in Manitoba, right? But you weren't yeah. actually from Winnipeg. You were from a small town in Manitoba, correct? Yeah, so I'm originally from... It's about uh, 25 minutes north of Winnipeg. Sorry, where did you say you're from? Uh, Stonewall, Manitoba. Stonewall, okay. Your audio cut out? Just specifically for where you were. Oh, <laughs> it was it was on. Okay. Yeah, sorry, we're getting, we're starting to get a bit of a storm, so I'm I might cut out every once in a while. That's okay. That's alright. But it's, but yeah, so my my home lanes are it's a six lane center. It's all wood, no shields, no rubber or not no rubbers, but old. The rubbers probably haven't been changed in twenty years. I'm pretty sure the rubbers they have on right now are the same ones I started with in Bantams. <laughs> <laughs> crazy it's, it sounds like stonewall is a great place yeah i'd say so <laughs> um that's good uh so h- how did you get into bowling then uh so i actually got into it just because so the bowling alley used to be about block and a half from where i lived and it was just one of those things where we would have that kind of like community day when all the sports would show up at our local hockey rink and you could walk around, sign everyone up for, you know, baseball, soccer, just kind of all like the school year sports. And there just happened to be one for the bowling alley. And we figured, you know what, it was a weekend thing. It was right down the street. Might as well just give it a shot. If I didn't like it, it was just, you know, it was a one year of it, mm-hmm. do it and then don't come back but ended up liking it so yeah that's how Wetaskiwin still does its uh local community sport sign up and stuff that they rent out the drill hall and they have all the the community sports set up booths and you go sign up for your your winter sport or whatever like that you're cool yeah yeah that's awesome so you started as a bantam um yeah i think well i think at that time maybe it was peewee which i guess would just be you know a subdivision of bantam correct yeah Cause, yeah because i would have been i guess eight i think i would have been about so i believe that's peewee uh eight eight would be first year bantam 
Okay, eight, nine, ten is bad to me. Yeah. yeah. Did you do two games or three? Um, I think I did two for like a month, and then they. Uh, I was going to say, I three. think he still does two. <laughs> but, but, like, I never I never started two hands. I always started one-handed. Totally. Um, so many people don't know most of the stuff when we talked about you were self-taught. You had some coaching out there, but not a whole lot of coaching, right, Tyson? No, so most of the coaches out here were people who... You know, they had kind of been the guys who were like the the rec league players who ended up having kids, so they kind of just transitioned into being coaches that way. So technically, they weren't as sound. A bunch of them were, you know, maybe the higher end were like 190, 200 bowlers, but that was like the upper kind of echelon of the coaches we had. And so a lot of them still were, they were just, you know, athletically gifted, but they weren't necessarily technically sound. So there wasn't a whole lot of technical advice I could get kind of growing up. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. If they're not exposed to that information, they're not going to be able to pass it on. You can kind of learn things and pick things up. I mean, there's certain things that can translate from sport to sport. But if you, you know, there are definitely a lot of things in five-pin bowling that are specific to five-pin bowling. And um, if you don't have that information, that's, that's tough. So then you slowly just progressed on your own until you got to where you are being in a tough center is a good place to learn how to you know work on things well and that was a thing like you i never really realized i guess how tough my center was until i started going to tournaments where i'd go at the tournament you would be you know 20 30 40 pins higher because suddenly now i'm going to these centers where hard my hard chops and my pocket corners are now starting to turn into strikes mm-hmm. so like even my last year of ybc in manitoba which was 2014 i was only a 210 average in house but then at the same time i'd go to tournaments and i was averaging you know 230 totally yeah hmm. So I guess having that kind of situation where you go to these these different places and you you play, you know, two thirty to two fifty must have given you a fair amount of confidence coming out of YBC and going into the adult ranks and stuff like that. Yeah. So I would have said if if I had just gone into the adult ranks straight from when I left Manitoba, I wouldn't have had the same amount of confidence then, yeah. because it was again I was only you know the two tournaments a year kind of thing I was throwing. So I didn't. I wasn't gaining enough confidence to be, have that confidence full time. But then when I st- once I moved to Thunder Bay, I started being surrounded by you know more competitive bowling, and that was kind of when I got my first actual coach, who kind of not necessarily tried to fix me technically, but was able to pick up on small things like speed, whether I was dropping my shoulder more. Mm-hmm. Whether I was standing upright when I shouldn't have been. Fair enough. And, and who was that coach? Uh, so that coach was actually um, Taylor Michelle's dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He That's was the awesome. one. He kind of pushed me. I showed up, you know, per first day. He kind of just watched, saw me bowl. Uh, funny story, actually, for when the first game, first day I showed up to Thunder Bay, I'd never bowled in any of their centers, didn't know anyone, just and showed up wearing I showed up wearing all my Manitoba national gear 
Manitoba bag, all that, in my head, not even thinking how it looked. Showed up, first game out, no one knows who I am. First game, three. Next game, 290. Next game, 220. So put up a 900. No, Everyone didn't say, didn't really talk to many people. Left, didn't show up for like another two weeks. And I had a bunch of people wondering just, like, oh, who's that guy? Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> just creating a hype around yourself, eh? <laughs> I love it. I was going to say, too bad Taylor Michelle's dad didn't teach him. <laughs> uh, they were too. They're too similar of people. There was too much headbutting there. <laughs> There's someone similar to Taylor. You you think it's hard, but yeah, he. It's <laughs> <laughs> almost mind blowing, honestly. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. So did, did you, what were your successes in YBC? Did you have any like major successes in YBC or? Uh, so, so for YBC, I ended up, I went to, I went to five nationals for YBC. I did, awesome. uh, I did in 2009, I took, I went with a team from Corey Lanes. That we definitely weren't a team of a national caliber to be going. That was kind of like a, national where just to get my feet wet kind of get the mm-hmm. experience but it definitely wasn't one where we were competitive in in our games i think we had two or three wins in 21 games hmm. fair enough but then so then the next year i ended up making it as a single uh to go to gatineau and that year i ended up coming uh fifth or sixth and again like it was a closer one i think that year uh evan won or came second yeah so then but then my final my final YBC for Manitoba was in 2014 that was when it was in Winnipeg okay and that was actually the first year for Manitoba when we switched our four steps qualifying to a match play at provincials oh really so zone zone was a scratch four game qualifier five game qualifier and then we went to a double round robin at provincials for match play. Interesting. And it was just it was straight match play. There was no like pinfall plus bonus or anything no. like that. Just straight match play. No, just straight match play. It would they did it over two days. They did four games one day, four day, games the next. Hmm. Crazy. Which, so you obviously did well in that format. Yeah. So I end up. I think I actually came third average wise that year. But it was mostly because, you know, the guys who had higher averages shot like 380 or 361 game. Yeah. And then for the most part, otherwise I was, you know, in that consistently 240 to 300 range. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the bowlers that year was actually Ryan Manzel. You might know his uh, brother, Brandon. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he, uh, him and I bowled against each other. Pretty much every year, it was always we either saw each other at zones or provincials. Just because from where my lanes were, we often got thrown around from zone to zone. They would kind of shuffle up the Winnipeg yeah. zones, and because I'm on the outskirts and I'm a smaller house, they kind of just would throw me back. Like, hey, okay, this year you're with Rossmere, this year you're with St. James. Totally. Yeah, we have a few zones out here for YBC that do the same thing. That's, uh, yeah, just depending on numbers or whatever for that year. So where did you end up at nationals? Where did you end up finishing up that year? 
Uh, so that year, I ended up actually in the, a gold medal tiebreaker game. Crazy. So, so that, um, yeah, that one was actually... It was looking like I was going to just have the gold. Because I, I was watching the match beside me in like the second last game, I think it was. And Saskatchewan was bowling Northwest Territories. And the guy from Northwest Territories, I believe it was Aaron Hardy... He put up, he put up a three three forty two or three thirty two highest game he's ever thrown, and the guy from Saskatchewan struck out for three thirty six, like to win by like four. Wow, that's <laughs> but crazy. It was, but it was funny watching the win because the guy uh, Aaron from Northwest Territories was probably way more excited than uh, the guy from Saskatchewan was. Oh, totally. <laughs> Like he's going, he's going through. He's throwing hands. He's like high five, and everyone's yeah. just hyping him up because you know. I think he said before that his high game was like two sixty, two seventy. Oh yeah. wow! And then throws it when he needs to as well. Like at that that stage, that's awesome. So oh, yeah. you said, so you said you ended up in a gold medal tie break game. You, the way you say that, that tells me you lost. I uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, was, that's it, okay. Yeah. So that that tournament was at um, Academy Lanes back when it, it was still a thing. Right. And so the way they did the um, tiebreakers was they did all the tiebreakers upstairs because that's when it had like that auditorium kind of yeah. seating in the back. Because it was like an old theater or something, wasn't it? I I yeah. think that's what it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so they ended up, they, they took a short break, and then they ended up filling, like, all that seating back there, plus the floor seating behind us. So then, it ended up, it started well, it was one of those games where, you know, started with a double, felt, got, had my confidence going, he kind of started slow, and then back went back-to-back -back aces, and he ran, like, seven or eight in a row. Oh, man. Wow. So yeah, he kind of grabbed he kind of grabbed the momentum and just ran with it. <laughs> I bet you that was a super neat experience, though, just being in front of all those people, just only watching you. That's awesome. Oh yeah, it's one of those ones where like, how often do you get to play that kind of match in a hometown yeah. crowd setting? In, in that setup too, like that Academy Lanes was pretty cool having that that large back area. Um, I know me and Tim, we weren't sitting watching bowling. Where that's a giant push area, from what I understood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we we, we might have been a little bit obnoxious and loud, and we pulled to leave. <laughs> but it, it was enjoyable for sure. It wasn't a, it wasn't a YBC national event, so we were fine. No, it was just at a Masters during a gold medal match. <laughs> no, but that's still that's that's super cool. What a great experience. Now you're all set to make a tour finals or something. You'll feel just totally normal. Yeah, that's the, that's the hope. Fingers crossed for this year. That's right. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, so here, here here's a question for you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I'd probably have to say Northern Ontario, just because I wasn't involved in the bowling scene in Manitoba really. <laughs> Just because my lanes weren't directly, they, they weren't the owners weren't the kind to directly kind of be in the bowling community. So like things like I never even knew Youth Challenge was a thing until I went to Northern Ontario. Right. Yeah, fair so, enough. 
So it was kind of one of those things where, and just the bowling community out there that I got involved with, it was a lot of competitive guys. There's a lot of just really nice guys out there to bowl with, just great guys all around. So I feel like if you ask me that question in maybe five years, once I've kind of dove myself back into the Manitoba yeah. community. <laughs> <laughs> At least give me the year, Brett. Come on. <laughs> I like this. I think this is a dig to us calling the East. <laughs> Basically, not Northern Ontario might as well join Manitoba. Yeah. So... Uh, speaking of Northern Ontario, you had a couple, we can probably talk about a little bit about the Open. To start off with, you represented the Open a few for a few years out there. Um, what is your uh, favorite experience out there? Uh, so, well, I actually only went to the Nationals the one year for the Open out there. It would have been, this, the other year would have been 2019, but there was a small hiccup on my part with some scheduling conflicts. <laughs> I think we've heard of this in another podcast. Yeah, I think this came up in Taylor's podcast. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, so I mean, that would have been a pretty good year. I've never been out to BC. But no, I definitely think that the 20, uh, uh, my favorite open experience overall, that was kind of a unique one too. Like we went, we went with a pretty solid team all around. And it was, I think by the end day, I think the first day was the only day I ever started matches. Hmm. After that, I we had a strategy going of I was consistently the bench player for that tournament. Yep. Which kind of started because I so there was a weird frame in that tournament. Carrie, I think you were you were at that tournament, right? The 2018 Open. The, where was it? It's right after my that was Gatineau. Uh yes, yes, I was at that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, one of my matches against Saskatchewan, we were on lanes three and four. And at a Nick, yeah, yeah, at a Nick, yeah, yeah, and so I was, I think I was second or third in the lineup. Went up first ball, and for you guys probably know that my ball goes, my ball is down before the foul line. So first shot I threw, I ramped up, hit that. Uh, So, sorry, could you say that one more time? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I I put the ball down, ball ramped off the foul line, took out the shield. Right. So I that, thought, you know, I experienced that yet there. Yeah. So then second ball comes around, and I'm like, okay, I'll just throw the exact same shot. It was just a fluke. Ended up <laughs> going, did the same thing, put the ball over the shield this time. <laughs> So then by this point, by this point, I'm just rattled. Like, I have no oh, totally. idea what to do. Yeah. Like, so I went up there. I slowed my approach probably to 50% and this ball and ended up picking a deuce. So, <laughs> zero, zero so, deuce. yeah, so uh, open frame. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so open frame was two, two points. Oh, my God. Uh, that team was that team was coached by uh, Bob Taylor. Okay. So Bob Bob pulls me aside and he's like, "Are we gonna have a problem?" 
<laughs> like he's gonna fight you? Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> so, so I'm like nervously. I'm like, no, no. Like I'm like, okay, give me one ball. Give me one ball. If I miss the middle, hit the foul line, anything, you can pull me. I think I end up shooting about two fifty, two fifty two or something. That that that's crazy. I I, I couldn't imagine. You might have been like this. The if you threw one more bad shot, you might have been the second fastest pull from Northern Ontario ever. (laughs) 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 Uh, That was the year they ended up pulling out all the lane guards, though, right? The second day, yeah. 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 Yeah, because I can't. I think it was. there was a guy from northern, I think it was from Nova Scotia, who I think he had about eight or nine dead balls in like the first four or five games. So yeah, and and ultimately at, at no fault of their own either. Yeah, I think everybody on our team, except for maybe Gino, I think we we all had a de- at least one dead ball that first day, and it was just like you can't you can't compete when you can't trust the the foul line, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Tyson, Tyson, tell me what uh, Greg's uh, facial expression was, because I, I can imagine it'd be, it was lovely. Oh, I didn't even—I didn't even have the courage to look him in the eye. Well, <laughs> 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 that—that was pretty much. Uh... <laughs> I almost, I almost had my match. I think I ended up actually being high game for us that game too. So I, I guess tell us what like it, we can talk about mental game here. I mean, how do you get yourself out of that funk, or how do you get confidence or believe in your shot when you know it, that could, is a possibility? So that with that one in particular, I ended up making, I ended up moving my approach up about sixteen inches. So like and. Like, so my normal slide, I finish about three or four inches from the line. So I kind of went and I shortened up a few strides and I cut off a couple inches from my slide. But in the end, I kind of just told myself, I'm like, hey, you know what? It's so far, it just seems like these lanes in particular, just throw your same shot. You've moved up far enough. You should be over the line now. And I'm like, you know what? If you throw one bad ball, you know you're getting pulled, so it's only, it's just going to be one bad ball. And, and when you move that far up and you you reduce your slide, it makes it way harder to get down over your shot too. It's, it's giving you a way better opportunity to get that you know just couple of inches lift, which is all you really need, right? So um, yeah, it's a, that's a solid adjustment. It's impressive you you kept your composure. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it was just a it was just a lot of I think. Because I was so nervous, I think I think the first ball I actually threw after that, I think I probably put it like two or about two feet past the foul line, like, which for me is basically a throwout for me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that shot only comes out when you're pissed off or something. (laughs) Not even then. Usually, when I'm pissed off, it usually I usually kind of bury it into the into the approach. (laughs) (laughs) So. I kind of want to add a little bit to the story because I think Alberta might have had the first buy. We roll into the lanes about half hour into the game or whatever, and we're kind of looking to see how people are playing. And I'm pretty sure because Tweedy was our coach, he like pointed out 
<laughs> the first frame that you had, and he's like, who is this guy? <laughs> and then we found out that there was dead ball problems, but yeah, we're like, zero, zero, two, what is going on? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the one thing that's, like, super disappointing about this, and, like, I don't, I don't like complaining about centers, because, like, it's tough, but... The fact is, we went back there for Masters Nationals a year later, and the foul lines were still a major problem. And, like, at that point, like, you know, you had a year to take a belt sander to it. Like, <laughs> that's, that's all you gotta do, you know? So, I mean, I know it's scary, but, like, uh, you're holding Nationals, you should probably get those fixed up, you know? Yeah. Now, is that an approach problem or a lane problem? There's an actual there's an actual foul line that's a board that is in between it. So oh, okay. the foul line is a separate piece, and they will crack. They will get cracked, and then you know just vibration will push them out. But you can you can push them back down, or you can you know sand them, or we use injector patch on them all the time too. Like or nail them. Yeah, exactly. There's little things that you can do to fix them or replace them. You can replace them completely. Yeah, and Nick had other problems too. Like, I think it was lanes five and six. They had a patch on the left side of, I think, lane six was lifted a bit too, about 10 feet out on the lane, stuff like that. So they were having some issues. I don't know if it was weather problems or water problems or what it, what was going on. Yeah. but. It's a large center. They got duck pin on the other side. They got lots going on, and it's obviously not an excuse or anything like that. But totally understandable. Like it's unfortunately you're hosting a national event. The bowlers obviously wish it was in the best condition possible, but we did with what we had to. They removed they removed the loft guards to help avoid that dead ball situation, and yeah, they, it, it was a fun national. They had a lot, like even at Masters there, they had a lot of, a lot of the lanes with the laminate lifting, and it's all bubbled up in the middle. But honestly, like it's different. It it you don't really know what's gonna happen. But what it does do is it teaches you how to play different lines. Like you got the people that can adjust and play different lines and you know shoot yeah. around those situations. Uh, definitely succeeded far more. So uh, it was kind of neat. It was interesting. Like. <laughs> It was uh, it was interesting to even talking with teammates at Masters and being like, okay, you know, what do you think I should do? I'm like, well, I think you should move this way and play this line and whatever. And you know, it was it was funny even with Weber, even with Weber like half giving him like line tips and stuff. It was it was interesting. It's a unique experience, but you know, we are supposed to be the best in the country, so find you know find what works and make the adjustments. Yeah. Yep, because yep. if you don't, somebody else will, and then you won't be winning, right? Yep, absolutely. But. So, I guess, uh, how did you guys end up at Nationals that year? Uh, that year, we ended up we ended up in, well, we finished third that year. We ended up uh, playing in the 2-3 match. So, and that year, that was a year where all of our matches for on between us and Ontario were decided by I think ten pins or less. Okay. Wow. So I think like the one match was like fourteen ninety seven to fourteen eighty eight or something. Like mm-hmm. it was just an absolute shootout. But then um so it was actually funny, so after that two uh after that two pin frame game, like that was the last game I started for the tournament. Not not because necessarily because of that, but because after that we just started to find a formula where 
I think it was the last game of the day. I came in off the bench for two frames, shot 60. We were like, we won the game. We were like, you know what? We won, we won the game. So next day we started with the same lineup. Uh, I came in off the bench against Ontario, against uh, DJ uh, Villeneuve. And I ended up uh, coming off the bench, running six in a row to, to finish. So then... And then the next game, so we're like, oh, Bob's like, next game, he's like, oh, you're starting. And we decided, as a team, we kind of went and said, you know what, no, the winning formula right now seems to be start this lineup, I'll come in when necessary if we need someone. Totally. And so did the same thing the next game. I think I came in, I think I was actually playing uh, you guys, Carrie, and I came in against uh, like Gino or maybe even... You and I came in and shot four in a row, four in a row and a head pin to finish. And you know what? We kind of just saw that strategy working. And Bob kept every few games. Bob be like, "You sure you don't want to start? You sure you don't want to start?" And I'm like, "I'm here. I'm here to for the team to win. Like that's that's the goal of national. And for me to try to start as many games as I can." That is the absolute right attitude. That is the best attitude. And honestly, finding someone who is a good bench player and that can come off the bench and they can have confidence in coming in off the bench just makes everybody so much more comfortable too. You know, you don't have to sit there and stress about how you're playing because if, if you do struggle, you have somebody that may be able to come in and do well. And plus, you're you're a young guy, like, you know, loosening up. I can't imagine, like, Gino coming off the bench has got to be tough. You know, <laughs> you know, trying to warm up those old limbs or something like that. So, um, you have a pretty simple, easy style. You're not going to hurt yourself, and you're able to pick it up really quick. And that's uh, having a strong bench player is a huge asset in the open for sure. Well, I know just talking with the guys throughout the tournament and even after, yeah, a lot of them said it was having that assurance where they're like, hey, you know, when I'm struggling, I know that if, you know if I struggle a couple frames. I can just be pulled, reset my mind, let you come in, and then come back the next game and kind of just start fresh. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the winning formula, you're right, and uh, if it works, it works. And But, yeah, finding finding someone like yourself is a big key to winning, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and the thing is, we, we had such a strong core group of guys for that team. That was probably been one of my favorite teams to go with for any nationals, I'd say. But like even you know, uh, provincials, provincials, low average on the team was like two forty eight, two forty nine. Uh, we go to nationals, low average on the team was again like two forty seven. So like, it, and everyone was kind of in that two forty seven to two sixty five range. So you always knew every you, you knew that you weren't having to carry say someone the whole time or it wasn't on one guy's shoulders the whole time yeah for sure mm-hmm. who was all yep. on that team so that team was me john wilcott wes swalick dan taylor taylor michelle and greg de grazia that's a really solid team john had some really nice nice words to say about you coming on podcast today oh yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Okay. Some blood scraping the bottom of the barrel. Oh, that that sounds about right. Uh, so yeah. you've had more success, more success in uh, John's a good guy. No, yeah, oh, good. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. So yeah. No. I uh, Masters. I played every every year that I played Masters. Awesome. I played Nationals. So your first. And again, oh, I was going to say, it's just a matter of out here, or in Northern Ontario, we just, it was a different group of good masters. A lot of our Opens players didn't play it, so, like, like the Taylors, the Greggs, the Dans, those guys, just, just how we have our masters set up. It just, it wasn't a format that pertained to them. Yeah, that's totally fair. You get to play with some other people, though, and that sometimes that's okay. I mean, Roger is one of my favorite people. That guy makes oh, me yeah. laugh super hard <laughs> every time I see him. So, yeah. Him and him and Nikki were actually some of the first coaches I ended up having in Northern Ontario when I went to Youth Challenge Nationals. Crazy. Uh, that's 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 really small world. Uh, one of our one of our staff members. Uh, Kyle, it, they turned out to be his uh, aunt and uncle. No way. That's wow. That's yeah. a long way to make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. So it's neat. It's always really cool seeing those two. Um, but yeah, so uh, do you have a, a favorite a favorite memory from Masters? Do you prefer the team or do you prefer singles? Um, I mean, I, I'm probably gonna say I prefer the team when I was out there, just because typically like. We'd have alright teams, but the teams weren't necessarily competitive, like competing medal-wise each year. Whereas with the single, it was definitely more of a I felt I felt like very medal-driven, where I could show up, you know, show up that day, bowl well, and then I'm gonna get something out of it. Yeah. Where, but yes, but overall. I have a couple. I'd probably say one of them, and I'll give a shout out to Fred Martin for this one. Was during the uh, 2018 Masters when it was in Thunder Bay. Yeah. So that was um, so it was the last match of the tournament. We were playing against Quebec, and Quebec and us were both, you know, uh, bottom in the standings. The game really meant nothing. So me and Fred bet a drink on the game. Fred and I have bowled against each other for Youth Challenge, YBC. We've ran into, like, we're the same age, so we run into each other all the time. And so it ended up being, so first ball, he goes up, he throws the ball, and then turns off, doesn't even watch, hits the strike. I walk, I walk up thinking, oh, he did it, I can do it. So I throw my ball, I pretty much turn almost mid-slide, it, it, I thought it was pocket out of my hand, threw it, ended up burying a corner. <laughs> so I had just all of like my team, Quebec, they're just sitting there killing themselves laughing because assume, I'm like, okay, I got this. Don't look back and everything will fall. <laughs> but we ended, up, we ended up getting to the final, it ended up coming down to final frame. I threw, I think I threw a spare, he threw a strike, or he threw a double to start, and he had pretty much clinched it. Like he was up, I think thirteen at that point, 
And so he walks up he walks up to the foul line, looks back at me, winks, and throws his ball in the gutter. <laughs> was was the team match like all done too? Um I th- I think so. I th- I think it was. <laughs> I don't think anyone was actually caring at that point uh about the team totals and that for that match. That's fair. But yeah, I think I think we had lost that one too. <laughs> that that's ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> I I like it. I like it. That's funny. Yeah, so I told him I was going to call him on a technical and see if that gave him a foul or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, unfortunately Didn't think so. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a sour drink I had to give him. <laughs> it's all good though. But uh, yeah, you, you uh, in 2019, obviously you got the bronze medal as singles. Uh, you played very well. It's it's a different experience, right, altogether compared to a team. Well, yeah, I think it's a lot. It's a lot different when you only have that one that one person from your province being with you. At the same time, like they're cheering for you, but they're also they're focused on themselves. So like a lot of it, you still are. It's still you by yourself. You just have you just happen to have that one person kind of sitting back with you. If you where if you really need, you can go to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it just kind of gives you a little bit of a little bit of comfort, just somebody you know that you can you can be around. But uh, you can't really expect a whole lot of coaching or anything from them, sort of thing. It's you're you're still doing your own sort of thing, but. Uh, yeah, just having somebody to hang out with and have somebody down in the pit is... I mean, there's a reason why you have coaches go down for matches or just to sit in the pit with people even too during, like, you know, the final matches there or whatever. So it makes sense. Well, and I, that's where I was at least happy. I had family out. Uh, my mom had come to watch. And so I always had... If I really needed, my mom has watched me for enough years. She would come and kind of, you know, be in my ear and she'd be like, hey, like... She doesn't necessarily know the technical side as well, but she can point out this from, you know, frame to frame. Mm-hmm. Where she'll be like, hey, you know what? You kind of look like you were falling over on this shot. She's like, or it looked like your foot kind of stuck. And so something that I might not have caught in the moment, just say focusing on, say, the follow through and something goes wrong with my slide. It was kind of nice to just have, you know, one or two people sitting back who could kind of catch that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 you had a pretty big support group there that year. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you had any of the guys there. Like, all the guys that we were competing against that year were just great guys. So if I was having issues, like, Kyle like Kyle Young helped me out a lot that year, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not specifically the games I was bowling against him, but... <laughs> Didn't, didn't really need that. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, um, for people that don't know, I don't. I don't think Kyle beat you, did he? Uh, he did not. <laughs> for about nine frames every game, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he was graciously donating them to you. Uh, yeah, there were a couple less than stellar finishes. <laughs> <laughs> But it's all good. Kyle, Kyle's a great guy. So, so who did you at you face? Did you face Cody? Yeah. So I faced in the bronze medal. 
Or uh, no, two, sorry, three? I faced I faced Tim in the two three. Oh, Tim was in the two three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a that was a good game. I think it ended up being I think both pins. We we both shot well. I think it came down to like nine ten both times. Yeah, I think it was like five sixty to five eighty kind of double. Yeah, that's yeah solid. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know the first game. The first game was a little bit of nerves. I know I started a bit slow there. Just first time with the lights, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's just a different feel having those lights kind of shining right on you. It had been quite a while since you know you've had that kind of crowd behind you just focusing on you. Yeah. Plus, at that time, Tim had a slightly bigger crowd, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think that honestly I don't think that matters. I mean, that's one of your questions we can talk about a little bit later, right? But. <laughs> Um, it, it was a little bit different. I mean, uh, you had uh, maybe a little bit less experience, not saying that that was beneficial to me in that aspect, but playing on the lights with the tour finals it, uh, and, and, and all that, I think it was a little bit easier for me to, to, to handle that. I was a little bit used to it, right? So, yeah. Well, for sure. I think it's just a comf- comfort thing, especially when, like, the lights are kind of in front of you. Like, you can... They're not just behind you. They're, you there's, there's still something. I'm bad for my peripheral. Like, I tend to lose focus sometimes if when I, there's new things. So I'm like, I might be throwing, and then something might catch my eye. So I'll do that kind of split second look away. Yeah. And then I got like come back, and by that point, there's no way I can pull my shot back. So it's basically kind of find a rough mark that I think will work, and kind of just feel bowl it. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, honestly, in in the last like three, four, five years, I normally my focus is really good, but lately, I'll come up onto the approach like, and it, of course I'll always I'll just match up with somebody like two lanes over, and the second I do that, and we're both moving at the same time, I'm screwed. Yeah. <laughs> just absolutely screwed. It always seems to be Brad Tidcat too for some reason. Yeah. We always end up moving at the same time, two to three lanes apart. I'm like, oh my god, stop! I'll wait for him. I'll wait yeah. for him specifically. Yeah. The, the big thing too there is we had a big delay because they were trying to put the camera crew in there after you guys, the tournament men through their last three games there. Uh, so they ran the camera crew in there and then all of a sudden the camera crew wasn't working and all his other stuff wasn't there. And then so we made us warm up and they told us not to warm up. And it was just a, and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, by the way, you're playing now. I was like, okay, that's cool. So it was, it was just a multitude of everything that was going on. Right. So, um, yeah, the the first game was a little bit weird for sure. Yeah, I think by the second game, both of us kind of were, you know, more in our rhythms. It was more of a true like there was no there was no nerves necessarily. It was just straight bowl, just straight bowling skill at that point. And yeah, better. Sad to say, better man won that game. Oh, don't! Oh, don't say that. <laughs> you should have never said don't, that. Do his not head, admit that. His head just oh. got a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Hendrickson, I've been waiting for this one. Um, he has a question to ask you there. There, he said, "What steps did you have to take to get over your loss?" <laughs> I'm sure it was a long process, considering who it was from. Well, considering I haven't really gone back to Masters since, it was quite <laughs> devastating. <laughs> Still getting over it. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was so devastating. I had to move provinces. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. 
That's funny. But um, well, moving forward, we have some topics that uh, Tyson actually uh, prepared for us here, and uh, we can have maybe have a little bit of discussion with it. Um, some of them we are maybe already discussed during the podcast, but it's a, it's a good way of seeing what our opinions are. Uh, is bowling a sport that requires a team captain? And is and if yes, uh, is there any benefits to it? Who wants to answer first? Um, okay, I, I think, do we need a designated team captain? I don't know. But I feel like every time that we're in one of these sort of sitting national championships or provincial championships or whatever, there's usually one person, maybe a second person, that kind of steps up and takes the reins of that regardless. And it's just, you know, uh, you hear your coach's voice all the time and that's what they're there for and they're there to help. But, you know, sometimes there's certain situations where you need somebody on your own team to kick you in the ass or sit down and just have, like, you know, a good a good team chat and just a positive chat without the coach. And um, it doesn't all have to be driven from them. I, I think that there usually is a person that steps up and is super positive and supportive. And I do think that there is a, a benefit to that for sure because it just sets the tone to the rest of the team. Um, you, need, you need the people at the top, the people that you expect to be at the top for that team to lead by example. So I think there is, yeah. I I agree. I think um, maybe it's not uh, appointed that you're a team captain, but I think experience really has uh, a lot to weigh with being a team captain. I mean, for, for many years, I mean, for example, like we've had a Bruce Mortar, and as soon as Bruce is on the team, he maybe not want to be a team captain, but people look up to him and follow and lead by example, right? No different in Kerry and probably with Gino down there, right? So in Central, Gino's on the team. People will listen to Gino and follow what he does, right? So um, I, I think it's important uh, just to experience it a long ways. Uh, it's not saying the team captain, but a leader also, you know, most of the times throws that key shot when you want it, right? And you kind of have, have that kind of designated a little bit. It just happens to be maybe that person a little bit. Uh, somebody like, I mean, Adam's done it for us up here. You know, Schultz has done it for us, you know. Uh, but I, I think it's very important that there is some leadership, right? Whether it's a designated team captain or not, uh, I th- there has to be in order to be a, a successful team, I believe. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of along the same lines to you guys. I don't think there needs to be like a designated team captain, but you know there's always that one player that is going to take the reins. As much as the coach um, is involved, and maybe they are a great player or were a great player or like maybe they still are and just didn't happen to make that team that year. It's, it's different in the pit with another player that you're playing with here. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> just ditched. Uh, wow. No one needed to see my face that close. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's different when that player's in the pit with you and they don't have to be the best player on the team or the most experienced player. They just have to be the person that knows how to motivate I guess the rest of the team know what to say because that coach overbearing a little bit on your shoulder, always talking to you, always, it it can even drive you the wrong way. But uh, your uh, your teammate in the pit may be saying the same thing. You might take it a, a different way, a more motivated way, right? Yep. I, I think you you need somebody that takes that. I don't think he, they need to be appointed, but I think you you know who that person is when you're in the pit. That's for sure. Yep. 
Well, yeah, I think that was kind of where I was wondering was not necessarily that, like you guys said, like it doesn't have to be a point, someone appointed, but it's always, you know, that one guy on the team that tends to be where everyone, everyone's looking to, like whether, you know, people are struggling, you always look for that one guy who maybe is always, you know, that positive face on your team or like, mm-hmm. I'm like for the open team I had, it was definitely, I would say, you know, uh, Wes Swalick. Wes is um, always a, he always has a great attitude if you always go to him, he's always there to help. Like that's, as much as like say, I... <laughs> <laughs> if if I want death clears, I will go to Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I want negative reinforcement, Greg. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, that's totally fair. That's, I guess that's the same way you look at. It. We've all had experiences at nationals where you you think the person that should be that team captain turns out that they're not, maybe they're not in the right mindset for to be that person, right? So you're hoping somebody else steps up and takes over instead of always looking to them, right? Um, and I, I, yeah. think, I think that's the reason why I think it's a good thing that it isn't appointed because at the end of the day, that means that the person that wants to do it, the person that does it naturally will be the person that steps up and does it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's somebody that, that wants to be in that position. Um, so I, I think that that's, yeah, I think it's good that it's not appointed. I like, uh, I like JB's comment here. Um, you need a captain just to stay out of the, the bystander effect. And that's, that's so true too. You know, it's a long grind during these tournaments and there's lots of times where you can start seeing teams, you know, have a lulls and energy and just, you know, it's, it's really easy if you're tired to sit there and, you know, just kind of drift along for four or five frames, and by the time you do that, that's game over, right? So yeah. you need somebody that's positive to be re- recognize that and kind of drag people back into that moment again as quickly as they can. So um, I do. I really think it's something that is important. Yeah, and you know, I I think we've had coaches that put us and helped us out there, but I think about eight out of ten, seven out of ten times, it's mostly a player that gets you back in focus, more or less, right? So. Yeah, because yeah, they're in it with you, right? They're yeah. the, if they're playing well, they know what's going on. They can maybe help you. the The coach can only see what you're doing, and I don't think they put two and two together how to, how to correct what's going on, right? Where hopefully the teammate realizes what's happening, well, because they're feeling the exact same thing, and they can adjust, right? Just my thoughts. I I. Uh, we've dealt with it, so knowing that, I think you definitely need somebody that that picks you up for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so Tyson, um, approach conditions. I know we talked a little bit about this, maybe with your um, unique, you know, faux pas. But how how do you adjust uh, faster f- for faster slow? So that was actually a question I was going to propose to you guys because I know I've talked to Tim and Dex a little bit about this. Uh, out here, um, uh, specifically, I've been bowling at St. James and finding the approaches, you know, very heavy. They're normally very heavy, but even during the summer, I find them even more so. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really kind of trying to work out a good way to adjust my slide so that I'm no, because right now I'm almost dangerously close to, you know, blowing out my knee coming, because I'm coming to such a harsh stop right now. Yeah. 
and that's and I'm throwing with an S8 slider and an uh, H7 heel. So, like, yeah. I, I don't really have a whole lot of room to go up from there. Well, there there is a big difference between an S8 and an S12, like a, okay. a big difference. So and I would ten, even a ten. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely have those in in hand uh, for those people listening. Like, this is really ultimately the the advent of having changeable sliders and heels has been absolutely massive and i'll be honest i was stubborn and i hardly changed anything until probably three or four years ago and then i decided to you know actually start playing around with it and in sherwood park i use an s2 and an h1 like they're literally the slowest combinations just because i like a bit of a heavier approach so i can be a little bit more aggressive with my slide but you know, going into places like, you know, at the time I was going into Golden Mile when Sherwood Park was still wood and I'd go to Golden Mile and I would slide forever and that I was terrible. It, it put my shoulder down. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't slow my, I couldn't slow my approach enough and my drive enough and still, still be aggressive while maintaining balance with that sort of slide. So, um, honestly, I know, I know creating your own shoes is a, a major trend right now. And I understand it completely, but if you can, please make sure that you try to make it so for adjustable sliders and heels because at the end of the day, you're going to have to make those adjustments. You want to try to do as many things as you can to maintain your normal shot over having to adjust big time um, with your approach. So you don't yeah. want to screw up your timing and stuff like that. Um, if you can't and it's still super heavy... I mean, yeah, move up a little and, like, slow your foot down, your feet down a little bit as much as you can. Um, I like it. I just drive harder. I yeah. just I just start driving harder. You can, be, you, into you can be more aggressive with it, right? Absolutely, I, yeah. Um, it's funny. Carrie uh, will probably tell you that he's the opposite. He has the S2s and the S3, 4s, and um, I, I don't know how he hasn't blown out a knee yet. But, I mean, uh, but, you know, I... The biggest thing I and I should I should do this, but each center I play at, I have you know I have a heel and slider combination, and uh, you should if you are serious about it and you play enough centers, you maybe should get a little book and write it down and just remember date it or whatever it is because um, you know I, I go to Bonnie Dew and I'm using I know I'm using an S ten I go to Sherwood Park I'm using an S seven or I'm going here and I'm using in, like an S eight here right and. I remember all these things, and I, you know, there's going to be a point where I don't remember. Um, but I, I think it's very important that you guys, each center to plays totally differently. Like St. Albert, it's it's ridiculous, right? And it's heavy. And so highly recommend interchanging heels and sliders. I think that's a, a, a huge difference. Um, I know Lenny mentioned about you can get those, I think they're through Brunswick, where you can slide them over top of your, Eric Shows mm -hmm. has that. Um, you know, and, and that's not so bad either, right? Uh, you know, I haven't used it, but I, I hear it's useful, right? So, but uh, make, make sure you write down your notes and, and use it if you can adjust that way with he heels and sliders. If not, move up, try, try, to, try to stop running at the line and try, to, and try to do that a little bit easier on your knees and your back, right? So, so there's a... A little bit of difference here too it depends if you're a toe slider or if you're a full foot slider yeah. right like a lot of people are um now with all the interchangeables they slide full footed they don't actually 
they don't usually use the brake as a brake. It's just a friction loss, or they they use the friction to slow them down eventually, right? So even going from your H7, you can switch out that H heel and put a an S2 on or an S4, mm-hmm. right? You can put you can shape that S to fit your heel as well, right? So you can create an in an, an exorbitant amount of combinations to adapt to that. But the main thing I found when getting to heavy approaches and I didn't feel like um, changing a heel out was going to correct the issue or whatever, was just making sure I stayed behind my knee and kept my knee in front of me. And then that way I took a lot of the stress off of it. Yeah. Right? And you don't get that step out where you cause the torque on your knee. You stay behind your knee and you keep the joint in line and hopefully it alleviates a lot of that, that stress going on. So the, the, I'll be honest. That's like I completely agree with you one hundred percent. It's just not really an option to me because I slide I slide outward. So uh, I mean I guess cameras are reversed. But my my left foot when I slide will actually turn left. And, and your heel and your heel kick out towards like perpendicular yeah, to the my, line. My yeah. heel will stay where my Parallel. ankle is. But yeah. my left, my left foot, well, my the toes will turn left. Yeah. So I'm already putting all that torque on my heel anyway. So I don't know how much of a difference that would really make for me as much. But right. uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. My, I make sure like you're right, Carrie. Uh, knee bend's huge, right? So, um, just I, I always try to stay behind my knee on that. Uh, honestly, Tyson, prime example when we played uh, Perry down in Quebec. Three different days, three different conditions we played on, right? Yeah. And that was it was so easy just to go in my bag. I have carry nose, and most of us know we, I have like every heel and slider in the in my bag. I can pull out which one I want, and it, I feel comfortable after a few slides. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that Carrie did mention about using a slider, interchangeable slider on your heel. Um, Schultz does that for his for a while. It's no different getting a leather piece on your shoe, and I used it in 2014 nationals in in Ontario, and it was it was amazing. Like it was there was no uh, friction or no restriction or whatsoever on it. So, um, or you just switch the bocce style like Cindy. Cindy you don't yeah. have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Cindy has sliders on both her feet. Oh. oh okay. okay. And, 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 and and she has SSTs. So. But yeah, I think. I'm, <laughs> I think an H7 yeah. would be the equivalent to an S4. Yeah, if I'm right. right. Um, so yeah, you could de- you could definitely increase those. But um, just for the listeners out there, just and I've said this lots about even just you know picking a line and picking a ball. Just make good use of your practice time. Don't don't use your practice time to just throw balls and get warmed up. That's not always what it's just about. You know, if it's a center that you're at all the time, sure that can be what it's for. But if you are at a different center and you have practice time, especially if you got lots of it, use that time. Use that time wisely. Find a line that you're getting pinfall you like. Find a ball that you're going to get pinfall you like. And then have a finer slider and a heel combination that makes you feel comfortable right away. Utilize yeah. that time as best as you can. Yeah, obviously getting your your footwork um, as consistent as possible to what you always do is obviously the end goal, right? You simplify that as much as possible, and then you worry about the rest afterwards. Obviously, with St. James, probably with the humidity and stuff, it's gotten a lot slower. So hopefully you find a combination that that helps alleviate that, or or you just slow your approach way down 
and try and try and keep that knee healthy, right? That's that's one of the worst injuries you can face as a five pin bowler, right? Is a hip or a knee knee injury, right? So. Well, and I'm right now I'm actually in the process of build, building shoes, like you say, with the interchangeable, um, not the interchangeable heel as much, just because I'm a I'm a toe slither, so. I'm just I just put uh, an S4 on there and I'm kind of just leaving it at that. I find uh, it's probably you know a pretty easy middle ground. It's like you said, it's just that it's just that friction you know enough to kind of just slow me. But yeah. I'm not using it as a breaker or a slider. Right, right. But I I started building those shoes in about January February and I've been waiting on sliders since about February or March. Oh wow! Where'd you order them from? Uh. Uh, through through Mike at St. James. Oh, okay. Hmm. Anyways, yeah. we have some in stock if you need some. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually, had, uh, Kyle Young was actually the one. Yeah. Was for me. He he he's the one who threw the Velcro on. Yeah, I remember Kyle one. Did he have gold ones? I think he's yeah. I think he's got like gold high tops. Yeah, yeah, gold high tops. Yes, I remember those ones. I remember you bringing them out. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, I, that's what I would suggest to our listeners. Try something different on that. I know some of you guys don't have the inter- interchangeable heel and sliders. Um, and if you have the SST9s or you have the 9s, it wouldn't work out, right? So um, please keep that in mind as well. But uh, yeah, Kerry came up with some, some good pointers, same as Dex, and, and hopefully Tyson... Hopefully you learn some more to your game but there. Definitely, definitely go grab an S10. If you're yeah, struggling yeah. with an S8, grab an S10. And if that doesn't work, grab an S12. Yeah, so, so, and, some, and sometimes a brand new slider helps out too, right? So yeah, yeah, you'll just fall on your butt a couple times with an S12. Don't worry about that first. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like like you're on glass. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Hey, that's good. Okay. I've thrown it to Coda on Tuesdays, and that's basically a skating rink. So <laughs> yeah. well, you're getting ready for Sherwood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Twelves uh, on for Sherwood. Well, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> You'll end up at the pins. Like, to be honest, we when TPC was in and we had a lot of people playing, it got heavier, right? Yeah, um, it will. Just because it got humidity in the place, the lanes got heavier. So I noticed that it wasn't as bad. Um. So, Tyson, as a coach, you you notice multiple things. Uh, that could be corrected. Do you have a hierarchy of what you could correct first, or would you correct first? Um, so I think it kind of touches on what Carrie said. Like, I typically always go and look at slide first. Like, I look at side, slide as your foundation to your shot. If your slide is all over, if it's inconsistent, that's like the easiest thing for me to change on someone. If I can say, hey, look, you know, you're pushing off this way, then you're pushing off that way. That to me is where you're getting all your inconsistent, your biggest inconsistency. The arm in that is always going to have, you know, small inconsistencies between how much you're flicking your wrist, which finger it goes off of. That's just kind of the name of the game. Nothing's ever 100% consistent there. But when you have the slide, a lot of you guys, like, I bet you if we looked at any of your guys' slides and you did, you know, that dot tracker that they do for, say, the 10-pin guys, that dot's going to be pretty small. Like, that's only going to be, you know, maybe an inch or two max for where you're finishing that slide. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I agree 100%. I the approach is number 1. If you're if you're using a road map to get to the the foul line every time, good luck. You're, you're going to be hitting different marks all the time. It doesn't matter how good of a field bowl you are. If you don't know if you don't know where you're starting on the approach and where you're roughly ending on the approach, because nobody looks down at their feet when they're at the end of the approach, but you know if you're in the wrong spot usually when you end up. So if okay. you don't know that, you're going to be so inconsistent. Everything else is going to be inconsistent, right? Yeah, 100%. You can deviate one inch and your body knows it right away. You get that weird feeling across your entire body. It's like, nope, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And then that's when you start trying to make like quick adjustments partway through if you can't stop, that is. Uh, but I I completely agree. It all starts with footwork. It's probably my biggest downfall at times. Uh, but, uh, yeah, 100% totally agree. Everything starts with that. Rhythm, rhythm and footwork. I, I don't know how you... How I maybe that's a question. How do you guys fix it, right? For you guys, I mean, for me, uh, it all comes down to my first step uh, and my length of my first step. I slide out my first step, and I find if I'm either too fast with it, or if I'm really trying to make sure that I'm uh, slow with it. I sometimes I elongate it way too long, and uh, and and throws out my timing. So it really deals with that first step there um, more than anything. I, I know some people their second step or whatnot, but uh, for me it's my it's my first one. Yeah, I, I find the first step kind of dictates everything. Um, I made a transition over the last couple of years to move back to four steps, so it's not so noticeable now in my first step, but definitely in my second step, which would have been my original first step on three steps. So um, it's just finding that timing, like uh, JB kind of said, timing differences and stuff kind of syncing everything up with your footwork, right, is what I find for key keynotes for sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy to think when your timing's a little bit off. I mean, um, you for those people that your timing's a little bit off, you might not hit your mark all the time. Like, I don't know if you're, um, Tyson, are you uh, a board, like, mark person, or are you or are you a spot player? I'm, I'm more of a spot spot feel kind of bowler yeah. so like I, I have a zone that I kind of do everything no fixed mark right and I, I think honestly the more people others I think the more people I, I know on the that we play with on tour and whatnot it's more of a zone now uh, except for maybe the genos and, and stuff like that it's by board um, so if your timing is a little bit off maybe you, you lean to the right after you throw a ball but you get it within that zone and, and you get enough lift on it, right, to finish, you can be able to, there is a give and a take to it, right? You don't have to be perfect all the time, right? It's, it's funny for me, like, most of the time, my, my speed differences with my approach, if I make mistakes with my approach, it doesn't really determine my line as much as it determines my lift. Like, if I'm quick to the line, my ball gets put down, it stays on the same line, but it ends up like, you know hitting the right side rather than the left or missing right or something like that. Or, but, uh, yeah, my line seems to stay the same. It's just it's just more the amount how much I get the ball out. Do you, So do you guys find that too, kind of what JB is saying here? Do you start your, your downswing on your arm at a certain step or how do you, how do you time that up? Uh, actually, this is this is a really good comment, JB. 
Uh, yeah, okay, so there's two things that I do if my timing is, like, a little bit whacked. And as dumb as this sounds, it's, like, the old standard. I take four steps, I go, one, two, three, four. And I will literally count it out in my head as I'm going along, and then just have one other cue in the way. If I'm not liking that, if I'm not feeling that at that time, um, I will do exactly what, what JB is saying here, is I will get to the top of my backswing, and I will literally say in my approach, drive. And just, just a cue to like drive everything forward all at the same time, just to try to get that timing at the line right. Um, so, yeah, those are the two things I would do. Hmm. I Now you made me think about this, carry. I don't even think about my push away. Uh, I push out. So I push out. Uh, so I push out as soon as I start my first step, right, to keep my timing there. Yeah. I used to I used to just drop it, and I then I don't know. One day I started pushing it out, and I got better. So um, <laughs> that that's how it kind of works. Well, uh, for sure, you, if you start pulling your arm, ba- just pulling your arm back, you have way more room for, or you you have way more room to make mistakes. For yeah. sure, it is far less consistent. One, it is way easier to push a ball to here the same place every time. You start pulling it back, your timing is weird. It's in different spots all the time. And that also means that you got to pull everything forward too. So um, just far less consistent without a follow or without a push away for sure. It, it's amazing how much I have to preach that to people like Derek Gall, for example. I had to preach to it for years. I was like, you got to start pushing it out. Um, so I guess building on that, do you guys let gravity pull your arm down or do you push your arm down? Gravity. I'd say gravity. You mean for your like for your actual shot, like for that... your backswing? What backswing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tyson doesn't have one. <laughs> he has. He has. He has. He's got more backswing than follow through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gravity, and then I'll 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 get it to a point where I'll actually lock my elbow and stop it too. I can feel when it gets too high, and also I'll actually. Tighten up the uh, the triceps and stop the stop the ball before it gets too high a time. So so the takeaway is gravity as well. You mean like pushing it out? Yeah. Uh yeah yeah I can't push it all the way out to to the point where I lock my elbow. That's a guaranteed head pin. But it's like you push it out to like three quarters of the way out and then and then let it drop. Yeah. Hmm. You're making me think. I don't even know. <laughs> it, 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 it just whenever it feels good just whenever it feels good when, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm finished sliding my first step this that's is, this is why it. you don't make adjustments lasers from, <laughs> lasers from elbows perfect yeah you moment. know what Len and you know Cindy we're going to have a talk later okay like that's just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> oh god uh, alright uh, Tyson what is the biggest roadblock stopping from a, a 230 240 average bowler from being 250, 260 plus. So, yeah, again, that was kind of a question I was curious about what you guys thought. Like, I see a lot of bowlers who, like, that seems to be kind of like their plateau or where they end up falling, you know, if they're the bowlers, say, who are only shooting once a week. They kind of seem like they, you know, they could be 250 bowlers, 260. Is it just a matter of getting out and throwing more reps? Or do you think that the people who end up stopping there is more of a technical issue where to sure up their 
sure if either they're slide or they're some something they're doing with their arm. I I think it it's finding where they're missing the pins, right? It's probably not even technical or amount of practice. It might be maybe they don't spare their chop offs, or maybe they hit a certain side more often than the other side, and they're not scoring as often on that side. It's finding where you're missing those pins first so you can decide what you need to practice on. Because there's nothing worse than just going and throwing at the middle and that's all you do because you think you need to strike the score all the time. That is true, but that might not be where you're missing those pins. You might be striking six, seven times a game, but you're you're missing chops or you're missing right corner spares or something, yeah. right? But, um, yeah, I, I think 99% of it is not going to be technical. Most of it is going to be mental. If you're averaging 230, 240, you've got all the building blocks there is for for the technical side of the game. Now it's now it's you know learning emotionally and learning um, le- learning adjustments and and how to how to see the game a little bit differently at times too. Um, making adjustments is such a huge part of the game, um, and, and being able to trust those adjustments is. Uh, equally as important. So, um, and I think also keeping your head in this in the right mental state as often as you can. I mean, it's hard. It's an emotional game. You're gonna have some ups and downs. But the more that you can el- eliminate having those low moments, um, those low moments, the better you're gonna end up being. Um, but I, I, I think I think technically you're gonna have most of it. But go out and practice different lines. Practice different things that are gonna give you adjustments. And be comfortable with it, and then accept the bad shots. Move on to the next shot. Don't let it sink you, because oh, that's that's a lot of it right there. So, I've I've always had a couple uh, trains of thought with it. I mean, I know Kathy mentioned about a, between a, uh, a striker game or picking up a spare. Um, I've always wondered, like what my average would be. I think I mentioned a few podcasts ago what my average would be if I actually cared on, on picking up my wood during league bowling. I mean, I average 260 plus. But, I mean, sometimes you just pick up a ball for second and third ball. Do you? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Did you this yeah. year? Not on Thursdays. No, 268 <laughs> on, on Sunday. But anyways, <laughs> uh, but point, point being is uh, I think it is a little bit of that. But I, I agree. I think it's all a lot of it's mental and confidence. Um, a lot easier to score higher when you're obviously you trust your process and trust your shot, but uh, a lot of it's experience too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times maybe when you throw the third strike and then you're like maybe have a little jitters for the fourth one. You haven't done that in a while. Then you, maybe the fifth one, right? It's controlling your your breathing. It's controlling your emotions. It's controlling your highs to your lows. Um, I mean, a lot of us here. You ever watch a, a tournament? Um, very rarely do we see somebody um, get a 180, and if we do, we can usually try to follow it up with something maybe a little, usually a little bit better, or um, it's taking the 180 and maybe making it into a 225, right? Um, and a lot of us, you know what, most of the time, when you have a 225, you don't even think about it. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. Go back next game, you, you shoot a 300. You, you know, it's just, it becomes, uh, becomes more of a, a mental game than anything. Okay, Len. Okay. <laughs> He's teeing off. <laughs> we had we had our Boxing Day tournament, and he shot twelve hundred for his first set, and he's like, you know what? Twelve ninety nine. Twelve ninety nine. Twelve ninety nine. 
I'm going to change bowling balls to the next set because that feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. Shush. Lenny, Lenny, let's talk about mental game. What about the one time during the Boxing Day tournament, maybe you went outside to get some some medical help and you came inside and you said, what's his EDM stuff? It's really messing my mind right now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because whatever you're doing outside, that's that's a really good mental game there, Lenny. Hey, Len. (laughs) I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Keep on doing you, bud. <laughs> Keep doing you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, too funny. Um, but I, I think it's mental game. It's, it's, it's uh, the same process every time. I know, like, Tom Patterson preaches uh, pre-shot routine. It's, skin the same process. It's um, positive thinking. I know a lot of you guys out there, when you're up there, uh, when you're playing bad, sometimes you're thinking of all the things I got to do right. I mean... Uh, that's one thing it's like do i need am i following through is my first step good or whatever you know, you've been like that tyson right you're overthinking mm-hmm. um somebody i forget who it was a long time ago when i was a kid was, was like lynn. lynn yeah he's like you're, you're thinking of, mind you think of something positive the one thing you're doing something right think of something positive so you know what if my if my follow-through is good or something like that i let everything else go and i think of my follow-through as something i'm doing right or my lift, and I end up somehow breaking out of that funk, right? So, um, a little, little bit easier that way. So, what are your thoughts on that, Tyson? Like, what do you think is the biggest roadblock stopping somebody from being uh, an elite player from a high average player? A lot to do with what JB says in terms of, I think it's that confidence and that trust in your shot. When you have someone going up there who... You know, maybe you've hung a couple corners in a row and you got to just, you know, trust that that shot is still a good shot. Assuming like they were, you know, pocket corner where, you know, you just got a bad break or maybe your ball dove across or you're in the vicinity, you're right in the area. You got to trust that you don't need that big adjustment because so many people want to see that where they see two or three corners in a row and they start getting worried that, you know what, I'm not doing something right, I'm not getting the right pinfall. No, just trust your shot. If you really want to do something, maybe you give it Maybe you give it that little extra on the shot just to kind of drive it more into the pins. But I think it's definitely also a bit of a awareness at the lanes because there's a lot of times when you'll get to the lane and you're, you're, you find yourself thinking about all these things and you just kind of got to step back I think give yourself that breather, let yourself, let your heart rate kind of slow down, and times that's what I'll do. I'll have like, you know, I might be on like a three bagger, and then suddenly I start thinking, you know what, I'm like, oh, you know what, that last shot, I was a little tilted, maybe I should try to, you know, stand a little straighter. But then I kind of step myself off and be like, you know what, just forget all that, throw how, you, just throw your shot, just do the exact same thing and trust in the process yeah no i i well i agree but you know i'm going to sit here and talk about this this first statement about like you know hanging corners um again i want to go back to like sitting there and talking about um yeah you, you're talking about awareness which is really important um i think again um using your practice time to find things again is super important because you know what you can you can go into a center and you can be throwing the best shot, you know something super comfortable, something that's, that is normally works all the time, and be absolutely burying it in whatever pocket you want to, and not getting the results. And you start getting you know 
corners, five, six, seven corners in the game. Unfortunately, at like, you know, especially like the tour level and stuff like that, an adjust, I, I don't think an adjustment is unwarranted. Um, but it's, it's a matter of knowing what those adjustments are and practicing them and being able to pick up what you can do to fix that. So, like, again, you know, you're talking about burrowing a corner. Well, if the ball's jumping in front, like, let's say you're hitting the right pocket and the ball is jumping in front of the right two-pin, you're probably having too much of an angle coming into that right pocket. Try to move further right to try to drive the pin, uh, the ball further into that pocket and try to de uh, deflect further into that left three-pin. Goes right. behind goes behind that two pin you will kind of want to move left to try to create a, a, a better angle for it so that's that's an awareness with your game and an understanding of the physics of the game um which comes with time and comes with talking with the people but i do think that there is a there is a benefit to making those adjustments as long as you know what they are and you are comfortable with making them yep yeah i can yeah i can totally agree with that i think Again, it's also just knowing your shot, knowing whether, mm -hmm. you know, whether throwing those corners, if you're having, like you said, the ball skip in front, is that something that you do consistently or is that something that was just that ball? Yeah. Oh, totally. Because yeah, it could exactly. be an offset pin and stuff like that too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to do it on I, one shot. Sort of yeah, thing. you don't make an adjustment after maybe two or three corners. If they're the exact same hit and the exact same reaction, then you need to make an adjustment. But if you're getting three, four corners a game, I don't think that's a make or break. It just depends if you're opening up other frames. If you're striking the other frames, there's no no loss in that. Yeah, I, I'll probably actually take more time on my corner spares than I will on my... Just, I, I think I think missing a corner is more detrimental for your for your mental game than, than, than uh, hanging a corner at 13 count on your first ball, right? Yeah, any single pin conversion. If you're missing those, uh, you need to concentrate more on them because they're they're huge. They're yeah. they're gifts gift spares that you're missing, right? Well, I know at Superior we always used to joke that the hardest spare to hit there was the head pin spare because there'd be so many guys because the pin reaction off the back was so good. Yeah, they would miss the three two, take out the other three two. And now mentally they're in their head thinking, oh, I already missed it once. <laughs> How am I going to hit this target pin? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like people saying the 12 spare is the hardest spare in the game. I'm like, no, thank you, JB. Yes, the 12 spare is the easiest spare in the game. You've got so much room for error and you just got to hit one pin. It's so much easier than a corner. Like, no. No, oh, yes, you throw a corner spares way more. That oh, better great. be your easiest spin. Oh, Better be your easiest spare. Carrie, okay, how many chop-offs do you get? What was that? How many chop-offs do you get? I don't know, lots. Right, so uh, how often do you shoot at your three-pin? And you don't lots. have to worry about sharing it. It should be right. the easiest friggin' no, spare in the game. it's not. You, <laughs> no. have, you, have, chop, you have chop three, four more inches for room for error on the right-hand side or left-hand side. but it's not my easiest spare. My corners are, by far. Yeah, Bad mental game. No, it's not like I missed the. It's not like I missed the twelve spare. I'm just saying corners are easier. They just I, are. Head headpin head three two is the toughest spare in the game. I think of like the of the non spare uh, the, of the spareables. I think. Um, like you mean your your miss spare? 
Yeah. I, oh, yeah. But, because there's so yeah. much more room for deflection and oh, the miss, right? Yeah, and you in, in your head you already missed the middle once. It's like, man, if I just it's already it's already eating at you. So sometimes you just push the ball down the middle, right? And so you don't you don't go pitch pitch, right? Yeah. 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 I think uh, Dexter on you and JB's twelve strike. Yeah, technically it better be the easiest spare, but I don't think people think of it as the easiest spare because the corner pin should be your your highest percentage spare by far. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, yeah, you're one hundred percent correct. There's so much more room for. A... Thank you. Yeah, technically, <laughs> but it's not, <laughs> and Our... it never will be. <laughs> I have far less tw- uh, twelve spares than I have tr- uh, quarter spares. Percentage wise, I highly doubt it. No, I'm pretty good on my twelve spares. Hey, JB, can you hack her system again and yeah, look at let's it? Let's check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, de- you de- miss you miss one and all of a sudden your percentage crashes <laughs> you yeah, miss de- one de- corner spare you still got lots to pick did, didn't you get a chop in the tour finals not spare <laughs> fair jb fair just like hash browns <laughs> is breakfast <laughs> all right i want to mute, mute you soon all right um <laughs> Final question for you, Tyson. If you had one, if you only had one person to stand watching you throw, who would it be and why? Uh, this is a tough one. So, I mean, I feel like it always it have to go back to just it probably have to be my mom. Like if I'm gonna have one person in the background, she's the one. She's watched me bowl whole life. She picks up on you know the smallest cues that even coaches won't pick up on other bowlers won't pick up on she'll be like I'll, I'll take a step off a lane and she'll be like you know what I knew I knew you didn't like that ball because she's like your eyes look like 30 degrees downwards and I'm like I'm like I could have sworn I was just looking at the chair and she's like no you didn't like that shot hmm. and oh. she she's just the one that she always picks up on that thing and I think I would want her to be the one there watching when it comes down to a big game. So like if I had the chance save for a gold medal match or a tour title match, that's the one behind me for sure. Hmm. How about you guys? Who would you guys, if you guys can only have one person behind you save tour finals, one person back there cheering for you, who's it going to be? Terry? Mine's easy. Julie, she's been on tour with me 18 years. She knows my personality and when I'm not in it or when I'm making mistakes, she can help me at least get out of the funk or pick up on something I'm doing. Um, technically probably not the best pick, but definitely, uh, for a mental game for sure. Dex. Um, I'm going to go same. Well, yeah. Um, the person that came and watched me at tour finals this year, Katie, um, my my best friend uh, does she? I mean, she's never gonna coach me. Like zero chances she will ever give me any sort of. <laughs> there's a... <laughs> uh, there's like... Yeah, there's no way chance that she would ever give me any sort of advice. But she's got the same stupid sense of humor that I do, and you know, she's. I need a person to chat to at all times. It's just kind of who I am as a person. Uh, go figure, and um, yeah, she's she makes it way easier, way more comfortable. It would be Katie every time. 
Me? Uh, I would like to say somebody that with uh, a positive and calming demeanor to them, right? Um, Sydney's been great on things when I when I needed somebody behind me. We haven't had much of a bowling experience together, but uh, anything we've done together, it's been great. As in, um, she knows when I'm nervous or when I'm a little bit, you know, have anxiety. She can calm me down. I, I think that's the main thing. Um, having somebody like that behind your corner, like, no different than you probably carry with Julie, um, because we already know our game already as it is. We just want somebody else there, right? So. Uh, yeah, 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 that's Jesus, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I'm Jesus and she's Mary, so <laughs> but uh, are you Mandolin? Is she your mom? Your mom? <laughs> I don't know. I'm wow, I, I don't, I don't, wow. I don't even, I don't even, I'm not even baptized. I don't even know. <laughs> you just called Sydney your mom. Oh, she, she, oh, that's okay. No, <laughs> not, not necessarily. There's Mary Magdalene, too. Yeah, Could have that's, been what, that's what I was going for. No, <laughs> no, anyways. Well, that took us, I don't even know. Obviously, I need to go back to school, right? So, uh. Yikes. Anyways, no, uh, you, get, you get my point. You yeah, get my point. I love it. I love I, it. I, That's I why these focused. things are live. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, man, um, <laughs> well, guys, thankfully she takes everything in this good stride. But um, yeah. no, it would. It, it's on the couch. Ha! Huh? Thanks. Uh, well, I'm 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 red. If you can notice you're that, still, you're still talking too. Oh, <laughs> I, I just, you're just yeah. trying to cover up everything. Uh, anyways, it'd be Cindy probably. Perfect. Yeah, yeah it'd be Cindy. Yeah. <laughs> Great answer. Man. Great answer. Awesome. I'm not taking the easy way either. So. No. <laughs> All right. Well, we should wrap up this podcast. We've been around <laughs> here for two hours already. You guys listening to us. Um, just one note before we ask for Tyson's final words and all that good stuff. Uh, check out Tom Patterson's new book, Success Driven Logic. Um, you can inquire at success, successdrivenlogic at gmail.com. He's selling a workbook with it as well. Um, you can find him on Facebook and all that good stuff. Uh, and yeah. Uh, one other note too. Uh, we are doing the all-star draw. Hashtag all-star draw. So if you guys want to get into that, do it now. Hashtag all-star draw <laughs> perfect so any last words tyson uh no not really i just want to thank you guys for having me on here i know uh it wasn't the intention originally tonight but <laughs> wow tim told you that what a jerk Unreal. we've been trying to track you down for months honestly it's been you for for as long as i can remember we've been trying to get you on since number four I know I was joking with I was joking with my girlfriend about that, saying, "Oh yeah, they were basically begging me." And <laughs> no, no, not at all. We, we've always enjoyed your presence. We've no. loved she, having she... you around. You're also super fun to talk chat with, and you think the game very well. So no, you you were not far down on our list. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, yeah. I Number hope. 90. hope... <laughs> Yeah, hopefully I'll see you guys out on the tour soon, either Calgary or uh, for sure Edmonton. Yeah, awesome. looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, Tim, I need I, I need a rematch, Tim. No, mm. Tim doesn't make cuts anymore. Don't worry about it. 
<laughs> he might he might now. That year off might have been the, the key he, he might, needed. He might now that he's got his mom coming to watch him. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh man. Okay. Um Tyson, you're more than welcome to to stick on while we do the draw. And all that good stuff. Alright, um, before we do the draw, I just want to thank out to Alley Cat Brewing, once again, for the beer of the week. Appreciate it very much. Uh, apparently, Dexter's got to pick up some more of our sponsorship. I do. I <laughs> and do. Uh, once again, to All Star Bowling Sales. Um, check them out. They got some pretty cool bowling balls on there. Um, pretty much anything you can think of, they can do. Pretty neat. Alright. We have 11 entries. That's one in one out of 11. That's pretty good odds. How did you do that in your head? Genius. <laughs> Technically a genius. <laughs> Still a genius. <laughs> Still correct. Kevin. Kevin McAlpine. Nice. Didn't From he what? won something before? Did he not? I have a hard time keeping track anymore. Yeah, it's getting a little. <laughs> We're giving away so much stuff. Hopefully people give us some stuff back. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, yeah, of course we said, uh, Kathy, are you talking about the book? Tom will be shipping, I do believe. Yeah, it includes shipping prices. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether she's talking about the book, the beer, the, uh, the Oh, probably the beer. All-Star. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, at, uh. They you can do go to the whatever Shopify. you're looking at. You bet. So you can uh, order right from their Shopify store, and they will ship to you as well. Do Mangalorian 10 yeah. out of 10 beer. Cindy got on the Mangalorian train. Yes. Yeah. It is solid. All right. Well, that's all for podcast number 108. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.